and welcome to Discuss, a podcast which tries to encourage open and honest conversation around various topics and social issues. This podcast is hosted by me, Hayley Rose Dean. Each week, I'll be inviting a guest onto my podcast to have a discussion around a different topic that's relevant and relatable in the world today. If you do enjoy listening, then I'd really appreciate some encouragement and feedback in the form of rating and reviewing this episode, which takes just a few minutes of your time. You can subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes, and it also really helps others to find the podcast. Now, let's get on with the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Discuss. We're on episode nine of season two, and today I am joined by the wonderful Eliza Hatt. She's probably best known for her online campaign, Cheer Up Love, which is a photo series that recounts incidents of street harassment from the survivor's perspective. Since her original campaign launched, it's gained an enormous response and has gone global. Eliza has since partnered with multiple organisations and charities to continue campaigning against street harassment. She's written for numerous publications, done a TEDx talk and most recently started her own Cheer Up Love podcast. She has many strings to her bow and it was an absolute delight to talk to her about the brilliant work that she continues to do. Hey Eliza and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here on this very wet, miserable day. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, as you say, it's a little bit wet and uh, depressing outside today, but apart from that, I'm good. Yeah, I know it is. uh, We said you might hear a little bit of rain in the background because it's very, very loud, but... Hopefully the conversation will be interesting enough that people won't be paying attention to the rain. The first thing I ask everyone to do, Eliza, (laughs) is recommend something to read, something to watch and something to listen to. What would your recommendations be? Um, Okay, so I'm sure people, loads of people have already recommended this and it would be really basic, but I'm going to stick to my guns because I actually really enjoyed it and I think it's the best thing I've read recently. So Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Everest, which I'm sure everyone who's listened to this has probably already read, but I just, you know, I don't care. It was really good. So that's going to recommend that. And then to watch, I watched the film Volva recently with Penelope Cruz and I've just never seen it before and I can't believe I've never seen it. And it's, yeah, amazing, which I'm sure everyone's probably already seen as well. Um, And then to listen to, uh, I would recommend this new podcast. Well, it's not new, but I've just discovered it and it's called You're Wrong About and it's great it's like each episode is dedicated to like a sort of different part of history or event and it just kind of debunks different myths and yeah, that's really good and also obviously my own podcast <laughs> the Cheer Up Love podcast which I couldn't possibly not plug so <laughs> yeah Yes, I'm so glad you just mentioned your own podcast then. Actually, um, Deba, who's been on your podcast, came on here and she mentioned your podcast as her listen to. That was her recommendation. Oh my God, that's really nice. (laughs) Yeah. And do you know, no one has recommended Girl, Woman, Other. And I love that book and I can't believe it. So you thought everyone was going to recommend it. You're the first person. Well, that's good. Being basic sometimes, sometimes is fine. (laughs) Exactly. Eliza, for people who don't know who you are and they're not familiar with yourself and your work, could you just give a little bit of context about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So my name is Eliza Hatch. I'm a photographer and activist and founder of the photo campaign Cheer Up Love, which is a campaign dedicated to retelling stories of sexual harassment. And the whole campaign is basically based on reclaiming public spaces and retelling stories by going back to the place that it happened, taking the photo there and reclaiming this space. And then I post everything on my website and on Instagram. And yeah, it sort of started in London and then has since grown to encompass stories from all around the world. And I've taken it to Mexico and Japan and the US and recently Sri Lanka with the United Nations. So yeah, it's sort of grown into something which... I sort of never would have anticipated uh, from like its inception, but yeah, it's kind of um, sort of my life now. I love Cheer Up Love and I love what you do. I think it's so great and it's amazing how much 
it's grown into essentially like its own brand. Sort of everyone, mm. if I talk about Cheer Up Love with people, especially people in sort of like um, gender equality circles or like intersectional feminist circles, everyone knows you and they know your work as soon as you say Cheer Up Love. And I wondered <laughs> if, yeah, it's really nice though. Like it's nice to have That's that familiarity. Nice. Yeah. And I wondered if you could talk about how it actually started, like the initial project that you started a couple of years ago, because am I right in thinking it was from you being harassed, being told, oh, cheer up, love, by someone, and that sort of triggered you to start it? Yeah, yeah. So I had been told to smile or cheer up, like, multiple times before I was told in the street that on that specific instance that inspired me to start the project. But yeah, you're right. Like it was all sparked by when a man will pass me like in January 2017 and he just said, cheer up, love. And then for some reason, I just like something inside me switched. Like I'd heard that phrase so many times, whether it was, you know, you'd look so much prettier if you smiled or, you know, cheer up, love, give us a smile, love, like any of these different variations that you're basically being demanded to smile. And yeah, for some reason, it just kind of something just switched in me and I felt guilty for not looking happy and self-conscious about my appearance and then just like so angry that this total stranger had just told me how to look and how to feel with complete disregard to the kind of day that I was having like only knowing that I was a woman and then yeah leaving me like three paces behind thinking of a comeback that was way too late to say whilst they just gone on gone on about their day and I was the one who was left thinking about it for just yeah way way too long longer than I should have been so I went to my friend's house and I told them about it and this sparked a huge conversation of sexual harassment story swapping one of my friends is a nurse and she said well you know you wouldn't believe how many men tell me to smile on the ward when I'm doing my job and so we just basically started having this conversation where we were swapping stories of sexual harassment and it was going on and on and what struck me as really unusual like wasn't the actual things we were saying themselves it was wasn't these incidents and these events that were happening on such a regular basis it was the sort of blase way that we were talking about them like they were just the most normal thing that could happen to us in in a day and it wasn't really until my male friends interjected in the conversation with their disbelief and dismissal of our experiences and saying things like oh you know I never see that happening and are you sure because we don't do it and just all of this sort of stuff and just yeah they couldn't believe it basically because they had neither been the ones doing it seen it happen or heard anyone really talk about it before and then I just realized that there was this huge lack of awareness surrounding the subject and my male friends just had no idea about the scale of the issue whatsoever so that's what really inspired me to start interviewing my and talking to them about their experiences and seeing if they would be happy to be photographed in the place that it happened or a similar place to the one that where it happened and um, that's just, yeah, that's just how I first started doing it, really. And I wasn't sure if anyone would want to do it. Like, I wasn't sure if anyone would be interested in talking about their experiences, and especially, like, publicly, and especially, you know, having their photo taken in such public spaces. I just had no idea if anyone would be interested at all. And then, you know, the moment I started asking my friends if they had experiences, it was like, you know, the floodgates opened everyone was just kind of like yes like oh my god you know which one of my 10 stories do you want to pick from and that really surprised me I guess I was really surprised at the scale I was surprised at how willing people were to share their stories and I'm surprised I was the thing I found most surprising was that uh the strangers wanted to take part because after I photographed a few of my friends they said, oh, you know, you should start photographing strangers. And I was like, what? No, no one's going to want to do that. And that's pretty much um, my whole campaign now, which is photographing strangers. And I just was, yeah, I just didn't even think that was something that anyone would want to, to have done like four years ago. But here we are. <laughs> I love how it started so organically. Like it's something that happened to you. You did what so many of us have done. You went and sort of vented to your friends. A discussion mm-hmm. sparked. And it started as like a sort of intimate thing with you and your friends and then it's it's grown and evolved and like you said four years later you're still doing it I think that's so amazing and one of my favorite things about what you do is how it's all about reclaiming that space as you said and how when you've been harassed like I remember once I was harassed while I was walking to school and I then like really hated walking to school for years because I was scared it was going to happen again and I think it's really powerful and it's a really 
empowering way of giving back autonomy to a survivor or a victim of sexual harassment, however people want to frame themselves. And I wonder what the feedback's like for you when you first did it, like obviously you start doing it with your friends and if the feedback's quite consistent that you get from the people that you photograph? Um, yeah, I mean, it was very varied feedback to be honest, because I would get multiple responses when asking people if they like had a story to share or if they wanted to be involved, you know, like some people would say, oh, well, you know, nothing that, that bad's ever happened to me. Or, you know, I don't think this counts or, you know, it's, it's, I don't think, you know, it's not a big deal, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so a lot of what I was doing at the beginning was actually saying like, well, you know, it can be anything. Like it doesn't have to be what we consider to be like serious sexual assault. It can be being beeped at by a car. It can be being looked at in an uncomfortable way on the train it can be someone sliding their hands around your waist to get past you in a club or a bar like it can be any of these things that are considered to be in quotation marks like small micro forms of harassment the things that most mm. people sort of brush off and brush away and assimilate into their everyday lives and that's the kind of thing that I wanted to focus on and sort of validate because I think you know my, myself included I'd assimilated so many of those experiences into my everyday life that I just thought they were completely normal and so I wanted to do something that really you know focused on those stories and gave them all a kind of equal platform and you know had like a, like a place for other people to find solidarity in other people's experiences and kind of saying okay well actually that shouldn't be normal and why should I have to accept that and like why should I have to stay quiet about that when it's something which isn't affecting like you know my male peers or isn't something that's affecting my male friends or something that's affecting you know anyone else but me so that's the kind of thing that I wanted to draw attention to and to say that basically yeah your experiences are valid but in answer to your question about the response it I was really overwhelmed with the response you know I was overwhelmed with how many people wanted to share stories and I was overwhelmed with the response of my my male friends and, and my you know my parents my parents friends like all of these kind of people who I don't think they had really any idea about the scale of of the issue or how much we'd experienced from a really young age and you know how a lot of it starts when you're going to school and you're in a school uniform and and all of this kind of stuff so it was a really overwhelming response at first and you know a mixed there were very mixed responses responses too I mean not everyone agreed with the kind of stuff I was doing not everyone thought that being told to cheer up counts as harassment you know mm. all of all of this sort of stuff so a mixed response but ultimately a positive one I would say yeah I think it's um, really interesting how you talked about validation and it's really interesting how someone else's experience so like for example you haven't photographed me like I haven't done directly been involved in your campaign but I've definitely been able to read um other people's experiences and see their photographs and correlate it back to something that happened to me and it's because of this culture of normalization sometimes that's the first validation that I've had of oh that happened to me and I didn't really realize that that was harassment or that, that wasn't okay or that it's it was okay for me to feel yeah. not okay after that because I think so often what happens is we do normalize these things like you said you walk around just accepting it a part of is a part of being a woman is like you you have to put up with people telling you to cheer up and beeping their car horns etc but I feel like what you're doing yeah. is really highlighting that we shouldn't and we deserve so much better than that and yeah. it's really interesting you talked about how um some men don't think telling someone to cheer up is harassment and I think that there still is a lot of men that would argue it's a nice well-intended thing to do and would even go as far as to say oh it's complimentary you know because you look nicer when you smile but then they never go around telling other men to cheer up which is interesting <laughs> um and I just yeah. wondered what your response to that is because I feel like you probably have a better response I feel like I get so angry when people kind of try and say that that I'm not actually very good at articulating yeah. why it's harassment why it's not okay so I wondered what your response is to those people that say oh you know it's not actually harassment it's well intended yeah well the thing that I always say to that is that because I've had that so many times people have been like oh it's a nice thing smile cheer up like you know it's like this is nice smiling is nice and yeah fine smiling is nice but you're not giving somebody a compliment you're giving them a demand you know you're demanding mm. them to smile and it's for no one else other than 
your benefit and it's completely gendered thing as you said like you wouldn't go or a man wouldn't go around telling a man to smile on the street that just doesn't happen it's very I'm sure it's quite rare that women go around telling men to smile on the street or other women who are complete strangers and so it's this like very gendered thing that normally happens from like a man to a woman uh like from a man to a woman's perspective perspective is the wrong word but you know what I mean and it's often just demanding something of you because that's how women have traditionally been viewed by society as just objects that should always be smiling and being sort of you know warm and like available and like you know welcoming and all of these kind of things all of the sort of like stereotypes of how a woman should be and ultimately being told to smile by a stranger just doesn't make anyone feel like smiling (laughs) the name one person who actually cheered up from being told to cheer up you know like it's just (laughs) like it's so true it's never happened ever and so I'm really confused as to why people still do it and I'm also really confused as to where it comes from because it still happens so much Mm. and the only thing I can think of is that it just comes back to this whole thing of the fact that women should just always be kind of you know smiling and seen and not heard and all of these sort of old-fashioned archaic stereotypes of like what a woman should be and how she should be presented and how she just can't possibly be frowning because that would be you know the worst and most unattractive thing possible for a stranger to witness on the street it's completely insane (laughs) no it's so true and also I think it comes back to us being ornamental like we're there for the male gaze like we're we're just like decorative precisely pieces walking around for them to look at and admire as if like our core purpose is to look I don't know, I'm putting this in air quotes, like presentable or like pretty for the male gaze. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole phrase like, oh, you'd look so much prettier if you smiled. Oh my like, God. People actually say that to other, like, well, let's just say how it is. Men actually say that to like other women, genuinely thinking that that is a compliment and that is a nice thing for someone to hear. Mm. But most of these people, I'm sure, have who have directed that statement have never received it in their lives. And if you hear that once like sure maybe in some strange way you'd think oh I would look prettier if I smile because it's such an odd thing to hear you're obviously gonna not know how to interpret it and so you know when I first started hearing that by you know complete strangers telling me to smile whether it was like you know a colleague or a fellow like waitress wait like waiter or something or any of this kind of stuff I would initially be like you know put this weird fake cheesy grin on like yeah oh okay I'm smiling now like sorry for not looking happy um and then immediately afterwards I'd be like well that's a bit weird you know why am I sort of apologizing for not smiling or like why am I putting on this fake smile why do I feel really uncomfortable about this why do I now feel really angry (laughs) like because it's really uncomfortable thing to like demand off a complete stranger I think and it makes you so aware and so conscious about how you look and then just makes you feel like you're only there to be yeah just like this ornamental object of another person's like desire basically yeah I completely agree and it's just I always feel like whenever it's happened to me I just I sometimes end up like laughing or or like smiling out of just pure embarrassment and shock like it, it sort of conditions oh, us yeah. to to be that automatic response and I, then I always like hate myself afterwards like even oh, now well, yeah. it happens still and someone will say cheer up or they'll make a stupid comment and I just sort of pull like a, a silly smirk or a, or a smile and then I, and then I'm literally like what are you doing Hayley <laughs> why did you I, just yeah. respond to that yeah a hundred percent and it's almost like a reflex because mm. it's so it's still quite surprising and quite shocking I think for a total fucking stranger to just come out into your personal space and tell you you should be smiling or presenting your face in a different way for the general public it's still so shocking that my first response even after doing this project for nearly four years now is I will always put on a sort of like I will still sort of nervously smile because at first you know I won't sometimes it's like I can't exactly hear what they've said or it'll take me a couple Mm. of minutes to kind of process it 
And then by the time I've actually heard what they've said, they've walked away and I'm sort of grinning like a fool and feeling really awkward and uncomfortable with myself. And, you know, at this point, if anyone tells me to smile, I wish I wish my response would just be to turn around and, you know, say like, fuck you or whatever, or, you know, <laughs> like just have some quick foot fire response to that. But it never happens because it's always as disarming and sort of shocking each time it happens because it's just mm. a fucking weird thing to say to somebody, I think. And yeah, you'd think after doing this for so long that I would be prepared for that kind of remark and that kind of response. And most of the times now I do just kind of give this like disgruntled look or this sort of like frown, like what? But sometimes <laughs> if I like haven't heard them properly, or if I've got a head in, I'm like, sorry, what? And I sort of take my head around out or like, you know, don't want to be confrontational god forbid or like escalate a situation you know I will I will sort of do this sort of weird apologetic smile or if I'm really off guard sometimes even apologize which is, mm. makes you feel like shit <laughs> when you just realize that you actually apologize to someone who's demanded that you smile for them I can't say that happens very frequently but it does happen occasionally and it's just a bit like oh god you just feel awful yeah true and it's so it's what you really sort of pinpointed then is it's so incredibly unsettling and how it sticks with with me and I think with many of us for like it'll stick with me for the rest of the day and I'll replay a moment over and over in my head and what I could have done differently and why did it happen and why did they say that mm. whereas to the person who said it they're just never going to think about it they asked you to smile and you did it and that's it that's it for them there's nothing more to it and recently I've been thinking a lot about how I've been reading a lot of material from yourself, things that you shared, and also our streets now, who I know you've done collabs with, that they've shared about harassment in the pandemic. And mm. I can't believe that it is 2020, we're in a global pandemic, we're wearing face masks, and men still have the audacity to tell us to cheer up. Like, how is this happening? <laughs> I, don't, I just don't understand. Asking, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got no idea. I mean, you'd think that it would be a deterrent of mm. some kind that half of your face is covered up so no one can tell whether you're smiling or not not that that should matter but actually in some cases it seems to have encouraged certain people and to have encouraged like perpetrators to yeah to be like oh you know like are you smiling under your mask or does your oh. mask match your knickers like or any of all of oh, i've heard some really grim grim mm. tales and stories and experiences that people have had from people yeah like either telling them like ask like telling them to smile or asking to see what's under their mask or just yeah like just really like stuff which no one should have to be dealing with on top of everything else that's been going on this year yeah exactly can, like can you imagine and it's really interesting because you said something earlier about how no one knows what you've gone through that day no one knows what anyone's going through in life or in that day and there might be yeah. like regardless of the fact that you don't have to smile you can have like just a resting face you are allowed that as a human being but also mm -hmm. you might be having a really fucking horrible day like you yeah. might have just had awful news and the last thing you need or you might be really struggling with your mental health like anything and then the last thing you really need is what is basically a microaggression comment slash harassment of someone telling you to cheer up like it's just so inconsiderate I should have probably said that at the beginning where like it's not acceptable to tell someone to smile because for me it just goes about saying how it's just like not a nice thing or a compliment but you really don't have any idea about what someone is going through what's happened to that person in one day mm. on that particular day I did a focus group recently with a few people and had a discussion about this thing exactly and someone said that they were told to smile by a man in a lorry after coming back from their family members funeral wow like, literally on the day of family members funeral and was told to cheer up and just like that's literally in a nutshell like that is why you don't tell mm. people to cheer up and especially like women basically don't tell yeah. women to smile on the street because you've got no idea what's happened to them in their day and it's just the last thing that anybody wants to hear basically literally so we've talked a bit about like harassment and street harassment and we know that, well, I believe that street harassment and sexual harassment is all linked to the patriarchal society we live in. Like it's literally a cultural thing. There's no like animalistic behavior 
in humans that encourages this like it's literally culture and I wondered Mm. obviously I think what you do is amazing in like raising awareness and focusing on survivors and giving them back that space but I wondered what your thoughts were on how do we change that culture like how do we get particularly with men like how do we get men to listen I don't know if you have many men following you for example on social media or listening to your podcast be really interesting to know your thoughts yeah I think it's so important to like get the conversation going from such a young age and include men in the conversation around this you know as in any way you can because it's just it's such a polarizing issue for some and even more so recently with like you know the backlash from the me too movement and just these words like toxic masculinity and feminism becoming such buzzwords that people just can switch off from immediately and you know, I read a statistic recently that like lots of young men at the moment think that feminism has gone too far and I've forgotten I've forgotten the specific number but it was just really shocking to me that so many young men can have the view like just regard like regardless of everything that's going on and still how much work we've got to do and how much inequality there still is in the world that some like many people still hold the view that feminism's gone too far which is a really frightening feeling because we've literally only just begun to have the conversation I feel and having a conversation and and sort of instigating change and sparking a change in dialogue doesn't actually mean that the work is done it means that the work is literally just started and people have been having these conversations for years you know Tarani Burke was talking it was you know who started the meeting movement was talking about this years and years and years ago but it's just taken so long to get into a sort of public, into, into, a, into a public dialogue and to have a dialogue mm-hmm. in the media. And to, unfortunately, it's had to be propped up by, you know, predominantly very famous white celebrities into any kind of airtime whatsoever. And we've basically just got a lot more work to be done. And that can happen on so many levels. You know, it doesn't have to, you don't have to start like, a wide you know national wide wide scale large scale you don't have to start a large scale like national campaign you know to get it on agenda you don't need to campaign and sit outside outside parliament for weeks on end you can know it can be anything from just having a conversation like a frank conversation with your friends like having a conversation on the table with your parents like having sharing a story or sharing experience with your brother you know all of these things I think make such a difference and I think mm-hmm. yes it's so important to go into schools and to educate from a young age and I think that is you know the most important thing right now like on like a sort of technical is not the right word educational action-based I'm getting my words mixed up but on like an action-based level you know going into schools and educating and starting having these conversations about like consent consent and what is acceptable and unacceptable sexual behavior towards one another like the earlier you can have those conversations and also the earlier that you can just sort of deconstruct the gender binary and deconstruct gender roles and you know all of these things that have traditionally held both men and women back for years and years and have kind of reinforced these tropes and stereotypes that kind of go to um like reinforce the inequalities that we see today that that encourage harassment and and assault the sooner that you can just sort of like go back to basics and sort of really deconstruct these these ideas you know the sooner that we'll be able to kind of make progress with this issue um and i'm working at the moment with our streets now as you said on a kind of on a higher educate higher education campaign to campaign for awareness about harassment in universities but they're also planning on going into schools and rolling out an education uh education campaign and education sort of package for younger years as well and i think that that is just the most important action that you can take at the moment but other than that I would say just it's a sim- like as simple as just having a conversation like with your sibling having a conversation with your group of friends having an open dialogue about the issue in a way that is sort of not sensationalized and doesn't always end up being these like I don't know headline like sensationalized headlines and sort of grabbing issues that seem to really you know put people off the conversation I think the sooner we can do that then yeah the better chance we have of actually making any progress. Sorry, that was a lot of waffle. <laughs> no, it was really interesting to listen to. And I completely agree. I definitely think that the education system needs a big looking at and 
young people need to be taught these things from from a young age and it's really interesting because you're talking about our streets now and the work that they're doing in schools and like how you feel it starts with education and I was thinking about your project and I was thinking about okay so if Eliza was to photograph me somewhere where would I pick like if I was gonna think of somewhere I've been harassed or like a moment in my head what sticks with me and I really think I've suppressed a lot of it because I know I've been harassed throughout my whole life and I think I've blocked it out for years and I definitely think it happened to me more when I was younger so when I was like a teenager I think was when it was most rife and when I actually analyzed it I thought it would be school. I would literally pick school. I was harassed on a daily basis at school. And Mm. I think that is just, yeah, the worst continuum of harassment that I've ever experienced, but I internalized it. I normalized it. And I didn't have the language or the education to understand or articulate how it made me feel and then validate the way it made me feel, if that makes sense. And I wonder if you get a lot of obviously you're working with like university students at the moment and I know you've talked about being involved with schools and if you hear that a lot if that's still like a really prolific issue yeah I mean it's always the first story that people have will be Mm. when they're at school or they're traveling to school or they're in a school uniform like these things happen and they start happening from an incredibly young age and a young age that I think shocks many people but it's not shocking to the people who are experiencing it basically you know I know many people who've had their first experience of sexual harassment when they were 11 you know before they went through puberty or just when they started getting their um, secondary school uniforms or like all of this all of this kind of these like signifiers of of not even age because you're not even a teenager yet like it's so gross but those were the first times that I would have my experience of sexual harassment and from all the people that I interview and you know I interview people who are 16 to who were in their late 50s and it will always you know the most recurrent theme and the most recurrent story they'll get will be you know when I was at school when I was 13 when I was on the way to school when I was in my school uniform like it always comes back to that and that's just a really disturbing element of it and I don't think I just don't think people realize like how much like how widespread it is and how much of a lasting impact it can have on you if you if your first ever experiences of being sexualized happen when you are literally 12. Yeah I completely agree and I think it's really interesting because I think that I don't think I really realized until I started sort of learning about this stuff which wasn't really until my mid-20s I'm like 28 so I'm sort of like um, a young millennial um, and so I think I was quite late compared to sort of like the Gen Z generation that are very like yeah. hot on this when you look at like our streets now like Myra and Gemma are so young and that's like that's awesome but I think that it meant that I didn't sort of start thinking about this or thinking about feminism etc until I was in my 20s and when I started reading these books I just remember it was just the most surreal experience the first time I ever had like flashbacks of my life like just moments and things that happened to me that I completely (laughs) forgotten about and I'd completely suppressed and so many incidences of like harassment that just came flooding back to me and I was like oh okay so actually that like that was not okay like the boys at school like unhooking my bra I mean the teachers that I'm not blaming teachers like it's not necessarily like entirely their responsibility but there's absolutely no way that they didn't know what was going on and I think that that's why it needs to start at school and like people need to go into schools and they need to be they need to be addressing this like actually someone at work someone who I work with um about a year ago told me his daughter's eight and she wears a skirt to school and because the boys just kept like lifting up her skirt all the time she wears shorts underneath her skirt and I was like that's gross and that is awful that she has to do that like it's it's good that she's got parents that she felt like she could say something to but also I feel like and again like not blaming her parents but we band-aid the problem so like that's putting yeah. a band-aid over the problem like oh, okay well if she wears shorts they can't actually see her knickers whereas actually what should be happening is that school should be taking responsibility for the pupils that are like harassing another student and they should be being punished Do you know what I mean like I don't have it's, yeah. it's so 
difficult to come up with like an actual answer but I wonder what your thoughts are because I just think we so often like band-aid an issue yeah totally I mean we we always treat the symptom rather than the cause Mm. and that has happened so many times like when I was at school it was just like so much victim blaming language and you don't even realize that you are the one who is being told to like alter your actions rather than the perpetrator and I didn't realize this until really recently because like you are I never questioned the things that happened to me I thought it was a completely normal part of being a girl and part of growing up and just something that I'd have to put up with and so you know I didn't really understand or was educated about feminism until I was in my early 20s or like late teens and even then it wasn't something that I really identified with because I thought it was something really radical I didn't Mm. know anything about it and so my journey into feminism was relatively late than most people now I suppose like Gen Zers and everything who are just clued up so clued up about everything and I wasn't at all like when I was 15 I thought it was completely normal to have a boy in your class put their hand up your skirt Mm -hmm. Uh, or like you know ping your bra strap or chase you around the playground trying to like slap your ass like all of this stuff like literally thought that was just completely normal and so and also you know when those things happened at school the dialogue that happened like if a teacher witnessed it it was always oh pull your skirt down you know your skirt's Mm. rolled up too high you need to go change or you've got a rip in your tights well you know that's unacceptable you need to you know get a new pair of tights or someone ping your bra strap well you shouldn't wear revealing underwear or or shirts to see through or all of this kind of stuff it's just a constant victim blaming narrative you know it was never don't put your hand up the girl's skirt or maybe don't ping their bra straps or maybe just leave them alone <laughs> like literally, literally. <laughs> leave them alone it was always you shouldn't be wearing cup you're wearing lipstick it's your fault it's your fault it's your fault and so if you hear that narrative over and over and over again from a young girl to a teenager to leaving school all of this stuff if you're constantly being told that the way you dress is inviting this kind of invitation and the way that you are presenting yourself is in some way flirtatious and in some way quotation marks asking for it then of course you're not going to question this kind of behavior until you know you're much older and you kind of have that perspective and can look back and be like oh actually maybe it wasn't my fault yeah I completely agree and the sad thing is I feel like it robs us of so much, robs us of innocence. It robs us of a level of our childhood because we're having to think about being sexualized and, but we don't have the language to realize that's what's happening to us. We're just confused about like Mm -hmm. why on a hot day when I'm going to get an ice cream from the local shop and men beeping at me from their cars, I'm just like, why, what did I do? Um, And it also, I feel like it really robbed me of my confidence. Like when I've tried to like really analyze it, it literally robbed me of my confidence and also changed. It did make me change, for example, like how I dressed and my style. And it did sort of take away that level of autonomy because we're told it's our fault. And I never forget when a teacher once told me in front of the whole classroom that my skirt was too short. And now I'm older. I'm like, why was he even focused on my skirt? Like what, like I even think like now I think about it like that. Like why was he even like the policing of girls in uniform is just so patriarchal and so weird. When you think about it, it's actually really, really weird. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. It was always, it was such like a stringent stringent I don't know if I know if that's the right use of the word but it's always such like a um it's like such a topic of of like dialogue throughout the whole of your schooling years was the length of your skirt like it drove teachers up the wall and like your parents would it would be drilled into them as well and so your parents would always be like how short is your skirt and you know we're not taking your skirt taken up and you know make sure it's unrolled at the top like all of this I just feel like that was such a poignant memory and like line of of questioning and policing when Mm -hmm. we were at school it just happened to everyone and it was just yeah I don't know why it was it was so focused on but it seemed to be like the be and end of everything and anything bad happened to you because your skirt was too short (laughs) it's just like the renowning like commentary of my schooling life (laughs) Literally, never mind the fact that I'm getting like awesome grades and doing really well. My skirt's too short and that's a problem we need to focus on. Like I just, 
It's so, <laughs> can you imagine like at work nowadays, like doing a whole presentation or something and then someone turning around being like, yeah, so your outfit. Um... But I mean, it still happens. <laughs> like these, this, this is the problem. It's because you are told this narrative from such a young age and you were told that by having a short skirt, you are a sexual object and you are mm. creating an, like, an atmosphere of desire and you are being the seductress. You are told that from such a young age that these things stick with you and the same people who think that and the same people who pass that judgment on you are going to be passing the same judgment on you when you are older and when you are a young woman or you know a young person, anybody dressing in a way that is deemed, you know, quotation marks, provocative Mm. it's going to be the same language of like oh well you're asking for it oh well you know you want the attention you're inviting the attention on yourself and so the reason why people victim blame now the reason why people are like oh well you know don't have your skirt so short if you don't want me to slap your bum on the tube like people still have those views now because they had them and they were entrenched into us in a really young age when we were at school so right and also it takes a mass unlearning as well and I think this is the thing we've we speak a lot about education and educating the younger generation but I also think there's a whole generation of people that exactly what you just described who need to go through this unlearning process like even I I had to go through this as well because Mm -hmm. I was a victim blamer like I blamed myself for anything that ever happened to me because that's what I was taught and I just think like there's this older generation like my dad for example when I was younger um and like he it's just something he's always done and like even like not that long ago whenever I was last upset when I was like upset and he'd try and like cheer me up and he'd be like oh smile like you look so much prettier when you smile (laughs) and like (laughs) now when I think about that I'm like that is like that is so bad like try like because it also it doesn't address the problem of like why am I upset and I remember like not that long ago it must have been like within the last couple of years he said something to me I must have been upset and he said something along the lines of like oh smile like you look so much prettier when you smile and I was like I'm not just here to look pretty like it's not my <laughs> responsi- like I don't have any responsibility to look anything for anyone and yeah, I think that it's like the same it's same as saying if someone's like depressed it's like oh you know cheer up yeah. it's like in the same league as, as that like you just it's 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 it doesn't work that way <laughs> yeah completely and I wondered I wanted to ask you about you spoke at the beginning how cheer up love and your photography campaign has become like essentially global you've gone to multiple different countries and we've talked about how it's a real cultural issue And I wondered if you've noticed any difference in either like response to harassment or the places it happens or the forms that it takes in the different countries. Mm. Yeah, so I didn't realize like how widespread the issue was until I launched my Instagram and then people from all over the world started contacting me with their own Mm. stories. And I was really surprised at how kind of universal, universal, universal the issue is. Um, And, you know, one of the most kind of shocking things for me was being able to go to a completely different country on the other side of the world and you know not even be able to communicate in the same language as someone but having a shared experience with them and having a similar experience of being harassed on the bus or on the way to school and Mm. having this solidarity with a complete and total stranger so that was one of the most shocking things for me was just this sort of universal experience of harassment that just happens seems to happen all around the world but there have been noticeable cultural differences for instance when I went to Japan there was still really heavy presence of harassment but in a really different way to the way that we experience it like in the west so in london or in the us it's london the whole of the uk it's really common to be catcalled or to be shouted mm-hmm. at on the street and people are just a lot more shamelessly vocal i think with just expressing mm-hmm. their opinions and thoughts on strangers uh in the street and so yeah you walk down the street in new york and you can get in the summer and you can get heckled like six times and just no bats an eyelid like that's just normal but in japan it's not very normal at all in their society and in their culture for strangers to sort of shout at each other like that is a very insensitive and sort of embarrassing thing to do you know to draw attention to yourself in that sort of way like absolutely nobody in their 
their right mind would just shout at a complete stranger on the street like that kind of thing doesn't really happen but what you get a lot of instead is like cases of upskirting for instance or cases of groping on public transport Mm. and you know there's it's a really big issue there and it's it's the more sort of subtle things that go sort of unnoticed and the things that can people can sort of turn a blind eye to and think people that things that people don't really notice as much so you may not be heckled or catcalled in the street but you might have someone taking a video of you like up your skirt or something on the on the mm. train and so they have like women only carriages there and like in Tokyo like that's quite a common thing to have and once again it's sort of addressing the symptom not the cause it's saying oh, okay well we know that women get upskirted all the time on public transport so we'll just make sure there's a special carriage you can go to so that doesn't happen Mm. we won't actually say you know maybe stop filming people up up their skirts but they are taking it seriously now and it is actually like a really serious offense and they are it is it's becoming it is something that's actually being taken seriously for once but they still have these like women only carriages and for me like I don't I think that's exactly the solution to the problem. Um, but yeah, that's just an example of, of a cultural difference that I've noticed. And then, you know, on the other side of that, you have Mexico, for instance, where catcalling someone was just like saying hello. So I spoke to, when I went to Mexico, I traveled to a few places and I spoke to a lot of women there. And I would say, oh, you know, have you had experience of, of catcalling? And, you know, they just sort of laughed because they were like, well, I've just been catcalled like seven times on the way to meet you here. And mm. That's just normal. Like that's, that's not even, there's just no dialogue about that even being questioned because that is just part of, of the culture. Like it's just part of, it's people genuinely think it's, or men, I suppose they genuinely think it's like a complimentary flirtatious way of, of, of sort of, of courtship or just, you know, interacting with one another. So there's a lot of that. There's also there's a lot of, you know, things that are a hell of a lot worse than that too. But just the sort of cultural difference of like catcalling all around the world, like it's the most normal thing in the in the world in Mexico, but you know, it wouldn't happen at all in Japan. <laughs> mm. I think the more we can acknowledge that it's cultural the more we can mm. accept that it can be changed like because culture is different everywhere so do you know what I mean there's no like there's no like scientific basis for example that says oh men just can't help it they just are like biologically wired to catcall because Japanese men aren't because it's not in their culture see what I'm trying to say I feel like it's helpful to establish how like well different cultures it happens differently so therefore it's not just like impossible Mm. to stop yourself from saying what you think about someone when you see them in the street or getting your phone out to film like under their skirt you know like these things it's not impossible to not do that we've just being conditioned in certain societies to think that those things are are okay or that you can get away with it or that you know no one will notice or that no one will call you out and you know the first step to changing that is to start calling it out and to start mm-hmm. saying that's not okay that shouldn't be normal yes it has been normal for such a long time but actually can we maybe put a stop to it now because it's just it's it's a real hint it's a real hindrance on society and for like general growth for the for the for the world like for the human race you know i think you can't grow and be equal in a society when you're being constantly discriminated against in public and people just turn a blind eye to it like that mm-hmm. just shouldn't be normal because you know one of the the main one of the main things that happens or happens a lot is this like total lack of bystander intervention like a lot of times when you experience harassment or catcalling or you get honked at or are slapped you know occasionally some people will say we'll we'll, we'll speak up and, and call it out out. but a lot of the times and the majority of the time people just ignore it people just turn a blind eye don't really say anything definitely don't give you any eye contact and mostly just try to yeah not get involved in the situation whatsoever and if you're having this experience and are being collectively ignored by most of the public then how can you challenge that you know how are you supposed to know or how is anyone supposed to know that that is wrong and that shouldn't be happening if literally nobody is speaking up or saying otherwise 
Completely. And I think also part of the problem is that it's not criminal. And that's why I love what our streets now are doing, because if it was criminal, so like, for example, what Gina Martin did with the upskirting law, like amazing, it's literally criminal now, like we have the power to do something. But at the moment, I could not go to the police and be like, hi, every day when I walk to work, this man is shouting sexual abuse at me because it's actually like, it's not a crime, um, yeah. it's, which is yeah, just wild to think about. And I know that you're doing a collaboration at the moment. You mentioned it earlier with Our Streets Now and like the mm-hmm. hashtag 16 days of activism. It'd be really cool to hear about what you're doing together. And it's with you and women as well. Is that right? It's the three yeah, of you working yeah, together. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a collaboration with myself and UN Women UK and Art Streets Now. And it's sort of, yeah, in collaboration with their higher education programme and ambassador programme, which they're rolling out uh, pretty soon, which is all about raising awareness about harassment at universities. And basically, we have photographed and interviewed a different student from a different university about their experience of harassment and we're releasing a different story every single day throughout the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence and then on the last day which is the 10th we're, ho- we're holding a virtual event and exhibition where we're going to launch all of the photos and the participants are going to some of them are going to speak about their stories and we're going to have a workshop and opportunities to yeah, discuss these stories and the action that we need to take and there's going to be talks from myself and UN and women and Arteries Now. And so, yeah, I don't know when this episode is coming out, but I would encourage everyone to come to the event. <laughs> it will come out the day before. So when this goes out, it will be tomorrow. So hopefully that won't be too late for people to go and get. And it's free, isn't it? It's a free event. Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah. virtual, virtual free event. And yeah, that would be great. Amazing. Eliza, one more thing that I wanted to sort of like ask you about and I don't want this to derail the conversation into a negative way but I think it's really important to acknowledge is that the work you do is amazing but it must use a lot of your emotional energy and you can literally experience like secondary trauma for example um, from reading other people's stories and what they've been through and their harassment etc and I was just wondering if that's something that you have to like be hyper aware of or if that's something that you have been affected by because I just think it's really important that people understand and I talked about this with our streets now when they came on that like activism is amazing and like what you do is amazing and the campaign's amazing but also like the realities behind it as well I worry that there's like a bit of a glamorization of activism sometimes in this work and so I think it's really important to highlight that yeah you get to do things like work with UN women and do a cool online event but also like the actual work itself is a lot of emotional labor for you and um as much as it's great I'm sure it's difficult so I just thought it'd be interesting to talk about that quickly yeah I mean thanks for bringing that up it it is it is I think yeah there isn't maybe a a bit of a problem of of activism in this kind of work getting glamorized in a way and Mm. activists becoming the sort of like new trendy thing for different brands and people to sort of associate and kind of capitalize on whereas actually you know sometimes the work is just is pretty heavy like it's pretty it can it can be pretty draining at times and you know a lot of the time you are just hearing hundreds and hundreds of stories of of, of trauma and with a lot of, of the trauma you're, you're gonna maybe it'll bring up things for you and things that happened in your past and you know sometimes I just I I just can't open my inbox because I'll have like 10 or 20 stories of like pretty intense trauma that I'm just like ah don't have the sort of mental capacity to deal with this today but then Mm. you know I'll gear myself up for it and other days I'll just you know reply and share you know 30 or 40 stories and, and I'm just in the right frame of mind for it and I think it's just important to acknowledge that like you're not going to be in the right frame of mind for it every single day of the week of the year of your life to kind of hear these stories and have the space and the time that you really need to um, to process them and to give that person a response that's genuine and heartfelt and stuff and those kind of things and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be something that you get used to and you should sort of you know glaze over and just skim read you know like I, I, I never want to be unfazed I think by mm. a story because I think after a while you probably after hearing so many stories and 
and so much trauma and, and so much abuse that people have experienced in their life. You know, I don't want to do the thing which I was guilty of the first time around before ever starting, which is becoming desensitized and like mm. normalizing these things, because that's the issue in, its, in itself. You know, the fact that these things are so widely experienced and are so normal. I don't want to get to a point where I'm not even reacting or, you know, can't or don't want to read things or don't really care about them because I just read so many of them so I do have to give myself a break sometimes and I do have to just not open my inbox for a few days or not reply to someone's message you know the moment I get it and I think Mm. I did really wear myself out at the beginning because I was so excited by the campaign and so excited to connect with other people who'd had similar experiences and just get the stories out there and just get people talking about it that I would sort of go to any lengths to reply to people's messages and to people's emails and to make sure that I was reposting absolutely everything from the minute that people um that people messaged me because I just thought that was the most important thing and it was and it was and it was amazing and you know I was at one point photographing a a stranger every single day sort of for months and months and months and you know that's the kind of how my project had so much momentum at the beginning because it was just this you know I was I was kind of I kind of wore myself out to be honest like mm. I was just sort of going in uh head like like went in head first and I was in the deep end and I didn't realize how much it would take a toll on me but then after a few months I was just like oh my god like why can't I even have a conversation with my friends why can't why is it Sunday and I, I I'm so exhausted I can't even speak or don't want to open a story or don't want to reply to anyone because I just sort of worn myself out without even really realizing it and I did realize how much of a sort of mental impact it would have and so it's been a learning experience really and learning to sort of take care of myself and to give myself a break and to not always have to be on and to not always have to be available because I think when you're working in this field and you're doing something because you really care about it and because it's a cause that you really believe in I think you sometimes feel as if you have to be available to people all the time and you have to be passionate a hundred percent of the time every single day and I am passionate about the issue hundred percent of the time every single day but I sometimes don't have you know a hundred percent of the energy that I mm. need to be passionate about yeah. it all the time so yeah you do just need to give yourself time off basically otherwise you're just going to burn out Yeah, completely. And it sounds like you've got some really healthy boundaries now in place, which is so important because I do think that sometimes, um, I think that sometimes, I don't mean this in like an un, that it's necessarily done in an unkind way, but I think that people sometimes dehumanize activists because they're sort of pedestaled as like Mm -hmm. these like superhuman, like amazing people. And obviously like you are all amazing people, but also you are people. And so it's just like that level of understanding. And I'm really glad to hear that, um, yeah, you now kind of know that it's okay to to not reply to messages and stuff like that and that you have those boundaries in place. I think it's so important. And also, like, I think I've seen a lot of people talking recently, like how, how like rest will make you a better, a better activist or a better, like whatever you're doing, like you'll be better at it yeah. if you allow yourself that time to rest because human yeah. beings literally need rest. It's so important. Eliza, thank you so much for coming on. And the last thing I was just going to ask you is if there's anything coming up with Cheer Up Love or any projects you want to talk about or plug or your Instagram handles, et cetera, et cetera, so that people can find you. I'll put the link to the event that's going to happen tomorrow night when this goes out in the show notes. So if anyone wants to go to that, but is there anything else that you wanted to just plug? Yeah, sure. So thank you again so much for having me. It's yeah, a real pleasure. And I really enjoy doing this. Um, but yeah, so you can find me at Cheer Up Love, spelled L-U-V, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. But I wouldn't really bother with Facebook. I'd probably just go straight <laughs> to Instagram if I were you. And then, yeah, there's the virtual event on the 10th with UN Women, which would be great to have you out as well. And then I'm going to plug my podcast again, beginning and end, <laughs> the Cheer Up Love podcast, which you can find on yeah all, all platforms. And I've just released season two of that. And I'm going to be releasing it throughout the next couple of weeks as well. And I've got some really exciting guests. And yeah, I'd love you to listen. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Eliza. I'll put links to everything you just talked about in the show notes. But thank you so, so much. Of course. Yeah, thank you for having me. 
Thanks so much to Eliza for coming on the podcast and having these discussions. As always, everything is in the show notes and there's still a chance to grab a ticket for tomorrow evening's free online event, which is all about the current hashtag 16 days of activism campaign Eliza is working on. And if you're planning on going, then I'll see you there as I've got my ticket sorted. And I'll also see you next week for the last episode of series two of Discuss, which is wild that we have almost done two series. So I'll see you then. Have a great week.